Hey there, Fight Fans. Monday. Not January. It is May 16th, 2016. And welcome to the Monday Morning Analyst. Uh, we take a look at some of the more technical action in, uh, in the weekend and review it and look at some slides and all that good stuff. You guys know how this works. Three parts to the podcast. Sort of an opening overview. Then we'll go drill down in a few fights uh, with some footage. And then we'll take a look at what's coming up next. Um, there were two big events this weekend. Um, in combat sports, I mean, there was glory, but we're not going to take a look at that. We'll take a look at the two MMA events, really just one MMA event and then one fight from the other one. Uh, there was UFC 198. That'll be the focus of our attention today. There was also Bellator 154 that had a very uh, respectable light heavyweight fight between Mo Lawal and Phil Davis. So we'll talk about that a little bit as well. Um, yeah, well, without further ado, let's go ahead and start with uh, Bellator 154. Excuse me. We'll start with UFC 198, then we'll get into Bellator 154's main event, and then we'll uh, look at some of the footage. Okay, so UFC 198 took place, forgive my pronunciation, Arena da Baixada in Curitiba, Brazil. The attendance, 45,207. I think it's the third biggest attendance uh, in UFC history. I don't have the record gate in front of me, but I'm assuming it was pretty large. Uh, the event was headlined. A new UFC heavyweight champion, Stipe Miocic, defeating Fabricio Verdum at 247 of the very first round. So we're going to take a look at some of this in the second segment. But I guess to kick things off with this, what a bizarre performance from Fabricio Verdum. You'll see what I'm talking about a little bit more when I when I looked at some of the tape. Um, Miocic did like a lot of things right, which you'll see. And he deserves credit for that, especially for just the accuracy of his right hand and the consistent use of it. Um... But this was a really bizarre game plan, and I don't want to call it bad because I haven't spoken to Rafael Cordero yet about what they saw on tape and what they were planning there. Um, but I don't know how they can argue that, at least in the application of the strategy, now maybe the strategy was slightly different, but at least in the application of it, very sloppy, very, very sloppy. Um, you know, I had mentioned pre-fight that uh, I thought Verdun was going to win because he had more ways to win, and which I still think is true. I don't, I don't know how that's not true. Even if you can say that uh, Miocic, the ways in which he could win are slightly more dangerous, which clearly appear to be true. Um, Verdun can win on the feet. Verdun can win on the ground. Like that to me adds up. However, even if that's not part of the debate, what I thought was going to be true was if you look at some of the reasons why Verdun was winning, it was not merely that his offense had come to life more, although I think that's true. Um, and that he had mixed it up a little bit with Cain Velasquez, it was that he had basically found out found out ways to stay out of trouble, right? He had not gotten crazy. He had not gotten reckless. Um, he had not gone charging in. And then all of a sudden he comes out here and he charges in. It was so bizarre, so uncharacteristic. Um, you know, that anyone wins in mixed martial arts doesn't really surprise me anymore, but how they win sometimes can. And if you had told me, well, you know, Verdun's going to get knocked out, Okay, I can believe that. That doesn't sound all that crazy, right? I mean, the circumstances might be. But then when you sort of get into a, a, an examination of how it all went down, and then Verdum charging in, getting tagged, and then continues to charge in, uh, not, not, that is surprising to me. That really, that really caught me by surprise. But we'll take a look at more of that in the second segment. But there you go, Stipe Miocic, Cleveland, stand up. And you got to say, you got to love Stipe Miocic running across the cage, jumping over and saying, I'm a world champion. The guy is not even a full-time fighter, as noted by our own videographer here at, at MMA Fighting, um, Casey Layden. Um, Miocic is an incredible guy. You got to be happy for him. He earned it fair and square. And, uh, you know, we'll see how long he, how long he can hold on to it. But... Um, you know, nothing BS about that right hand. Uh, in the co-main event, Jacare Souza defeating Vitor Belfort at 438 of the first round via TKO. Um, we'll take a look at one portion of this in the second segment, but I guess one thing I, I really want to say about it is um, I saw some people saying, how can Vitor Belfort be a black belt? He just can't get out of mount, which I find to be a crazy thing to say. Um, plenty of guys get mounted who are black belts by other black belts and can't get out. That doesn't that doesn't mean anything. This is quite this just tells me that folks aren't watching for example like jiu-jitsu tournaments. Now getting a mount on a black belt is hard to do. Hodger Gracie won a tournament I think in like 07 or 08 where he passed to mount on everyone and won all 7 matches with cross choke from the mount. Like just because you're a black belt does not mean 
you can escape the mountain of other black. I see. I, I saw Marillo Santana roll. I won't. I won't say what school it was. I saw him go over there and just mow through their black belts guards and get mount on them, and they couldn't get out. I don't know what that that, that doesn't mean anything. That's not it, uh, just because a black belt can't get out of other black belts mounts does not mean he's not a black belt. You might say, well, Chris Weidman's not a black belt. Maybe not, but he's got a black belt mount though, especially with that kind of D one wrestling base. You know. Um, there's also the fact that he's older. He might have hip injuries. He doesn't have the same explosion he had to get out of things. Like that. That's not the the fact that Vitor can't get out of someone else's mount, uh, especially someone like Jacques Array or Chris Weidman. So what? I mean, I'm not saying that's good, but it's not proof that his black belt is somehow not legitimate. It's quite legitimate. Um, in any event. Uh, Jacques Array won this pretty handily. Not a whole lot to say about this. There was one way in which he was pounding on Vitor that we're going to look at in the second segment that's just sort of proof of how awesome uh, and athletic Jacques Array is, uh, which we'll get to later. But I just want to like defend Vitor here a little bit. I've been hard on him for much of the later part of his career. The guy has seven haircuts at one time, and there's a lot of else you can say about his career. But uh, it is very, very, very unfair to say that because he can't get out of those guys' mounts, that he has some... I mean, maybe he maybe mount escape is not necessarily his best uh, forte. Uh, okay, fine, you can make that claim. But that somehow the black belt is not legitimate as a consequence of that observation, to me, seems profoundly unfair. Uh, Cyborg, Justino, defeating Leslie Smith at 121 of the first round via TKO. I went back and watched this one. Um... You know, she was just lighting her up from the beginning, and this didn't go very long. But you know, she was just uh, throwing a leg kick that would get Leslie to drop a hand on one side. She would connect with it on that side that would get Leslie to drop a hand on the other side. So she would double up or triple up the combination, and then she ended with a flurry that was like a five punch combo that dropped her. You can make a claim that the fight was stopped a little bit early. Um, I'd be okay with that, but uh, the writing was on the wall for that one, I feel like. Cyborg looking fantastic. Everyone who makes these claims about, you know, Cyborg's just this brawling marauder. Cyborg's pretty technical. She can brawl to the extent she feels someone is hurt or she wants to really pile on the punishment, but she can wait her turn. I feel like, you know, uh, Jason Perillo's done a really good job with her. She looks phenomenal. And everyone who's saying, oh, how is it going to work in the UFC? It'll, they'll, they'll figure it out. And people have said, oh, well, who is she going to fight? I guarantee you, if you pay someone enough, they'll fight her. Leslie Smith is not the only person in the UFC who's willing to do that. So these arguments about, well, how is she going to get past USADA? Seems like so far just fine. And, um, you know, we'll see how that goes. But for now, she's done everything that's been asked of her. And how is she going to find a- opponents? This, these are not reasons to keep someone this special out. Uh, okay. Shogun Hua taking on Corey Anderson, winning split decision 28-29, 29-28, 29-28. I do not think a 29-28 scorecard for Shogun is unjustified. I had a 29-28 for Anderson. Certainly thought he probably lost the first, won the third handily. I thought he won the second round. Anderson's pretty good. you got to give him credit. He starts slow, which is problematic. He was getting chewed up. But it was, oh no, excuse me, he lost the, yes. He lost the first round. I thought he won the second, too. Uh, was getting chewed up by the left hook of Shogun, but eventually found a way to work around it. Mixing in takedowns. Top control was a little bit loose, but that's okay. Um, now you can say, well, Shogun dropped him in the last 10 seconds of the second. Uh, maybe he wins that one. For me, that's not enough because he had lost the first 450 of that round. But, again, I'm not going to cry about it. Anderson didn't really put it on him enough um, to, to, to really justify like people claiming robbery or something like that. Uh, at the welterweight division, didn't see this coming. Brian Barberina defeating Varley Alves, unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. Varley Alves comes out like a house on fire and then fades. Brian Barberina, I thought, was going to get overwhelmed, or he had been overwhelmed in previous UFC fights. Not this time, man. Wow. He really stuck it out. He, he weathered the storm, and he, I thought he looked pretty technical there on in the clinch. Uh, he actually had some decent pocket fighting as well. Um, definitely, definitely surprised at the durability of... Uh, Brian Barrino was standing in the guillotine choke early. If you can push Varley Alves, and I don't know how much weight he cuts, but it appears to be significant. If you can push him past that second round or into the deep second round, you have a great chance of winning. I don't know how far Brian Barrino can go, but hats off to him. I didn't see this coming this way, and he proved, I'm not sure, just me, but a lot of people wrong. Uh, okay, so we go to the preliminary card. Demi and Maya defeating Matt Brown via rear naked choke at 431 of the third round. We're going to look at the Matt Brown fight with Demi and Maya, but only one part of it. I just want to say something about M- Matt Brown here in defense of him. You know, he got his back taken very quick, but 
I think uh, Fightmetric was saying, if you look at Demian Maia's last three fights combined, his opponents have only landed 12 strikes. This is a phenomenal ability to stay out of punishment. He likes to go to the back anyway because it's just hard to get punched from there or anything from there. Um, you have, you know, you, your opponent has to work like this. It's, it's, when you think about that, it's crazy. Credit to Matt Brown. Yes, he got his back taken, and yes, he got taken down, and yes, um, the body triangle went on. But this is Demi and Meyer we're talking about. He did that to Gunnar Nelson, too. Um, you know, if it's going to happen to Gunnar Nelson, it's going to happen to Matt Brown. I thought Matt Brown's hand fighting from the back was incredible. Uh, I went back and I watched the final sequence of the choke a number of times, and what I basically saw was Matt Brown did a really good job at either collapsing his elbow to hold one hand here and then hand fighting on this side, and there was one moment where Maya gets this hand out and is banging on him, and he lets go, rather than bringing this hand up to fight, he kind of brings this one up. Well, when he brings this one up, the other hand snakes across. Just a mistake in hand fighting, and yeah, it's a pretty obvious mistake, but you know he fought that off for... Jeez, man, you know, 14 minutes and 30 seconds, like, eventually you're going to make a mistake like that. You're just, you're going to have a mental lapse and it's going to happen. Like, I don't take anything away from Matt Brown at all. I thought his, I thought his, you know, it was survival, but it was really, you could tell, rehearsed survival. He, he, he was ready for that. And, um, you know, I'd give him a little bit of credit. That being said, obviously, you know, Demi and Mai, what do you want to say about his jiu-jitsu? It's unbelievable. There's one sequence we're going to look at. I mentioned this on the Sure Dog Roundtable if you had heard it. You know, if he can't, he has phenomenal trips. Uh, he has got, he's got decent takedowns too, but he's got unbelievable trips. But the best thing he has is this like sacrifice throw takedowns. There is one takedown we're going to look at. It's not quite a sacrifice throw, but he essentially pulls mount. And I don't mean he goes to mount. He pulls Brown into mount. And uh, everyone was like, that was Brown's chance. I went back and watched it. I thought so too in real time. On second thought, I don't think that was his chance at all. I think that was just. Um, the illusion of chance. That's what that was. Demi and Maya is unbelievable. If they want to give him a title shot at, at welterweight, I would not complain. Tiago Santos defeating Nate Marquardt at uh, 339 of the first. Some might, some had noted that the Santos punch kind of grazed the back of the head. You know, not intentionally, just striking at range. It, it, it went across. Similar to the Poirier punch that he absorbed from Conor McGregor. In both cases, I, you know, it's not accidental. It's part of the fight game. He was getting chewed up before that anyway, and... You know, Marquardt has lost six of his last eight, four of those in the first round, I believe. No, four of those via TKO, three of those in the first round. So, um, you know, he's got some questions he needs to start, start answering about his career. Uh, Masarenduba, Francisco Trinaldo defeating Yancey Medeiros, 29-26, 30-27, 30-26. I think I scored this fight 30-24. to I had a 10-9 in there, a 10-8, and then a 10-7. Um... How this fight was not stopped is unbelievable to me. And everyone was like, well, Medeiros was on top at the end of the third. So what? That doesn't mean anything. Um, you know, he collapsed a number of times against the fence and then from the fence to the ground, resisted not at all, was getting beat on. And there's a point where you can say, and this happens in boxing a lot more, you know, for the same reason that people don't want tech fall in sport jiu-jitsu because they say, well, you can always pull out a submission, you know, uh, even if it's out of your ass and whatever, which almost never happens. And so it winds up making these guys getting, you know, these 20-point differentials in some of these black belt matches. Um, the same thing applies to MMA, the same kind of logic. Where it's like, well, Medeiros, you know, he's still kind of hanging on there a little bit, A, by a thread, and B, the amount of damage he's taking as a consequence is going to take years off his life. First of all, broke his face. He has a partially broken orbital bone. Um, that's just, but that's the least of my concerns, frankly, at this point. You know, look, Medeiros is obviously tough as nails. Okay, fair enough. But when someone's that tough, they can become a threat to themselves. And I like Dan Mergliata. Refereeing is super difficult. I am not here to say that you or I could have done a better job necessarily, but just in speaking about what was happening in that third round, there are there are reasons to stop the fight when someone is not intelligently defending themselves, and then there's another reason to stop the fight when they're barely defending themselves semi-intelligently, partially I think it's just instinct, but when there's this massive accumulation of damage, I, I certainly believe you are well within cause to call that off, and that should have been called off. Um, you know, his corner should have done something about it, and um, so should Dan Mergliata. Uh, let's see, John Lineker defeating Rob Font, 30-27, 29-28, 30-26. 
the scorecards are kind of all over the place there, but I guess on some level I can understand them. Uh, I'm not sure about giving Font a round, although he had some moments in the second. Uh, I had taken a flyer on Rob Font. I thought that he would be able to really work behind the jab better, and he, there were moments where he was able to adjust, again, particularly in that second round. The thing about Lineker is, even when you pump him with the jab, he has a really strong chin. Everyone talks about the fact that he can really bang people out, and of course he can. He can really he just makes people change their um, decision making because they don't want to absorb any more damage. Really, kind of a credit to him on that. But more than that, he's got an incredible chin. Like he, your your jab's really not going to back him up. You got to really hurt him to back him up, and that is not easy to do. Some of those takedown scrambles, he's got phenomenal scrambling, phenomenal takedown defense. John Lineker's a handful. You know, they looked like two different guys in two different weight classes when they were matched together, and I thought maybe this is going to be Font's chance to really fight at distance. Again, had a couple of moments where he was able to do that, but you can't you can't back up a guy like John Lineker off your jab. you got to really you have to stick him with punches. Uh, and then we go to the preliminary card. Little Nog beating Patrick Cummins. Cummins taking his time with this. Um... Maybe too much time. Maybe should have just been all over him with the wrestling. He got picked apart at range. I think it was a 1-2 they fired down the center. That really hurt him. And Patrick Cummins, man, you know, uh, he's a really good fighter. But I think it's just a little bit too late to learn skills to work at range. He has to take a more of a Demi and Maya approach. Like, just forget it. Forget, forget. I mean, keep working your hands and slowly, if you really need them, you'll, you can use them. But... Uh, it's not the best thing for him. He lost at 452 of the first. Sergio Moraes beating uh, versus Luan Chagas. Split draw, 29-28, 28-29, and 28-28. I kind of scored this for Sergio Moraes. Uh, I thought he won the second and third rounds, but I can understand why they may not agree. And then Hanato Moicano defeating Zubaira Tugugov via split decision, 28-29, 29-28, 29-28. I also had a 29-28 for Hanato Moicano. A good prospect, but a little bit to work on there in his game. And then we go to Bellator 154. Very briefly, this took place at the SAP Center in San Jose, California. Uh, attendance of 11,084 and a gate of almost a million nine hundred eighty-four thousand five hundred fifty-two. Not bad considering that card was a disaster <clears throat> in terms of what had happened to it. Um, just real quickly, we'll go over this. Just want to say Adam Piccolotti, who was supposed to fight Jordan Parsons. I think that kid might be a legit prospect. He looked incredible. Uh, also, Andre Fialo. Fialio, I, I can't pronounce his last name properly, defeating Rick Rieger. That doesn't tell us much, but he looked like he might have some skills, uh, someone to keep an eye on. And then um, Saad Awad defeating uh, Cyborg Santos because, you know, th that was just, that was either going to go one way or the other, first round stoppage, just happened to go Awad's uh, uh, way. All right, Phil Davis defeating Muhammad Lawal, 29-28, and then two 30-27s. Look, if you scored that fight, 29-28 for Phil Davis, I think that's justifiable. Uh, I don't agree, but... Fine, not not a robbery by any stretch of the imagination. 30-27, though, seems hard for me to believe. Third round, of course, went to him. I don't see how he won both the first and second rounds. I actually had it 28-28, but even that I'm not all that comfortable with. I felt like Mo won the first and second rounds. I thought he was doing much better with landing clean punches, not to the head, but to the body. It was the body work that Mo Lawal was really putting in. He was blocking a lot of Davis's punches. He was slipping a lot of them. He was blocking his kicks. Davis was not getting a lot through. Mo also had that takedown in the second round. Now, he got clipped bad in that third and then Davis had this. Davis has this unbelievable Kimura sequencing um, that is really kind of spectacular. I love watching bigger guys go for things like that. He'll get behind you inside and then grab your near side wrist. Then he'll get on top with his weight, switch grips so that he can then hold it with the opposite side hand and then come underneath. That is pretty incredible what he does with that. Credit in all the world to Mo the Wall. Mo the Wall was in side control underneath, about to get Kimura'd. Um, Phil Davis had not stepped over the head. Mola Wall sits up. Ladies and gentlemen, you have to be strong as an ox to do something like that. If someone is on top of you, particularly someone with the base of Phil Davis, and you just sit up on a Kimura, you have to have incredible core strength. Trust me, that is, in, that is very difficult to do. Unless they're bouncing on top is really suspect. And I have a hard time believing that Phil Davis is suspect in that position outrageous job so then phil davis tries to switch to the arm bar almost gets it and then uh mo clears his head and then helicopters the correct way on top and then almost went into a cradle brilliant sequencing by two elite heavyweight elite light heavyweights again i thought mo won but again i'm not upset that, that davis won uh it's just that third 27 kind of rubs me the wrong way okay that's it all right so let's move to the second segment we're gonna look at three things very quickly number one we're gonna look at one of these takedowns 
that Demi and Maya has that is absolutely incredible. Then we're going to look at this ride that Jacare uses on Vitor that I thought was kind of nifty. And then we'll look at the blitzing of Fabricio Verdum on Stipe Miocic. He blitzes a number of times in this. So you can see there was a strategy to blitz. Uh, maybe one that didn't make sense in the end, maybe one that was poorly applied, but let's look at that and see if we can figure out maybe what he was trying to do, even if poorly executed. So we'll take a look at those three things in the second segment right now. So let's take a look now at this sweep, this deep half guard sweep that Demi and Maya gets. So this is what I talk about when I say Demi and Maya has the best non-conventional takedowns in MMA. Um, if he, he can, he has doubles and singles and he has like, you know, standard body lock trips and stuff like that, but then he's got stuff like this. So here he is on a head outside single. He's above the knee for now, but he's, you can see that Brown's got this cross face in here. So it's not optimal. Brown's still got enough room to work here to prevent the takedown. So let's watch what Demi and Maya does here. Cause this is just, I, I maybe Jacare could pull this off. I don't know who else could pull this off. Watch this. All right, so he pushes Brown back into the fence, drops his level again. You can see he has an open on the opening on the side here. So Brown drives a deep underhook here, which seems like the correct thing. He has to get this elbow on the other side of his head, you know, get a forearm in there, or get the underhook here too, which he can't quite get. But this is a really deep underhook, and watch him wrench him up like that. You see that? Man, great job. And you heard Brian Stan say the same thing in the middle of the commentary. He really gets it up, and he's trying to get that forehead or his, his forearm, excuse me, on the inside of the head to get his head away. So that way he can get his body to go this way, right? Turn the corner. So Demi and Maya realizes, well, I'm not going to get this double, so F this. Check this out, man. He, while the, I mean, Brown still has the underhook. He's trying to get away. Watch this. He puts his leg on the inside to trip forward. Not a real trip. It's actually more just to hold it in the event that, it's not exactly a trip. It, it might feel and look like a trip. You can see his other hand goes around the back of the leg here, right? So he's got the left leg on the inside, right leg on the outside. It's not really a trip. You'll see in just a second what it's for. It's basically used to make sure he has his body where it needs to be, and he's holding on to the limbs in the way in which he needs to hold them for the subsequent position. That won't make sense just looking at this slide, but it will in just a moment. I'll show you. Just, just remember here, forget about this. Just look at this right hand here. Remember, there's no underhook on this left side. He's got his right arm here, and he's got this left leg in here. So just keep that in mind. Okay, he pulls mount. He pulls Brown into mount. Not just mount, high mount. Now, here's Brown's foot, so I guess it's only three-quarter mount. It's not real true mount, but you can see Brown must be like, oh, jackpot, uh, as he yanks him into him. But you can see the minute before, like Brown's, you can't tell from this photo, there's, you can go forward maybe a couple extra seconds in the slides. Um, and you can see Brown's knee comes down after this, which I'll show you in just a second. But you can see automatically what's going to happen is he, Maya's not going to go flat to his back. He's going to go to his side. We talk about this all the time. Worst place to be when your hips and your shoulders are flat to the mat. If that's happening to you, bad things are, are going to hammer down upon you. So he's not doing that. You can actually see he's crunched a little bit, just a little bit, head off the mat. And he's going to go to a side here. This is incredible. Now, what's he going to do? He's actually going to push... With this leg, he's going to push Brown forward to get him to plant his weight because this gives him all the space he needs to go to deep half. Now, with a true deep half, like in jiu-jitsu, Brown's left leg would be extended out, and this leg might hook underneath. Actually, either leg, depending on which way he was going to go. But you would have a hook underneath that leg so that they can lift it and you could turn. Doesn't have that here, but what he does have is he has this foot off the ground. The left, the, yeah, excuse me, Brown's left foot is off the ground, which means maybe his left knee is down, but he doesn't quite have full use of it. He can get lifted, he can get turned, he can get blocked, he can get grabbed, right? He doesn't, it's not out to the side like this one, which will be in just a second. So he gets him to go forward. This is going to give him the room to bring his, if you're Demi and Maya, right hand around the left leg, and he's going to use this to scoot underneath to slide to deep half. You see him sit up. Now, he's going to have to pay for it a little bit. Boom. Eats a right hand from Demi and Maya. But look where his knees are. He's going to bring him into his chest. He's sitting up. Look at look at Maya's left hand. You see it here. He's going to tuck it underneath. And he's going to come here. This is deep half. Now, look. He's, he doesn't... How do I say this exactly? I'm trying to think here. Um, 
eats this, sits in. Now, there's all different kinds of ways you can do deep half, but in MMA, you especially want to have, you can lay on the guy if you need to, not lay exactly, but you want to have everything in alignment, but you can kind of have your ear to their hip. Here, he kind of has forehead to hip, but I just want to point out, he slides, not merely this hand underneath, his body rotates clockwise. Watch. Bink. You see that a little bit? Everything comes underneath. So he's not just sliding an arm under. He's rotating his body underneath. Now what you're going to see here is he's going to rotate this way to then rotate that way. Right? Rotate. One more time. He's going to rotate clockwise to come out counterclockwise. He's going to switch his hands here. And the truth is, what, what Brown should have done is Brown should have caught this underhook here because that would have kept Maya flat. Now, Maya probably would have done something else, some other kind of counter that I don't know about. But traditionally speaking, you want to have this outside arm. You, you, you have one arm tucked underneath their leg. Your other arm should be tucked underneath their other leg so that they can't underhook here. Brown kind of gets to it late. So if Brown had this underhooked, he could have saved himself a little bit in the scramble. But even then, you're kind of only delaying things a little bit. But in any event, he doesn't get it. So Maya's going to go clockwise to go counterclockwise. He's going to come up to his base. Now he's on his elbow. You see that? Still got this tucked. You can get hammer fist here. But the truth is, if you're Brown, look at what's happening here. Whose base is getting changed and whose base is getting disrupted? Maya's base is getting changed. Brown's base is getting disrupted. Now, what often happens next is, let's see the next slide. Right. What often happens next is a guy gets to here. They'll use this leg, in this case, Maya's left leg, to block Brown's left leg. They'll put their hand on this one, and they'll drive forward off this to double them this way. Common, common sweep. Uh, you can do it from deep half. You don't even need deep half. You can do it strictly from an underhook. Imagine if he was in half guard, and he had the underhook here to start with. All you need to do is get this leg in here, this underhook. I wouldn't have it on the leg. I would have it on the back. Put this hand behind here. You can double him this way. But Brown knows that's coming. Brown puts an underhook behind the thigh here to prevent him from really establishing a base to give himself something to block with in the event that that happens. And he sticks. You can't quite see it, but he'll stick his leg back here. So this is what Maya does. Maya probably came up here and said, I've got two options. I can put the hand behind the thigh here and double him this direction but Maya doesn't do that because he knows Brown's Brown's got this leg as like a stabilizer he can stick it out behind him you're not it's going to be hard to get that double on someone who's resisting like this plus he's got this hand inside here to prevent the kind of structure that Maya wants to bring uh, behind him but you know Maya could scoop that ankle behind with his leg he could try that he doesn't. He goes the opposite direction. This is brilliant. So he says, F that. I'm not going to try and double off on your strong leg. I'm going to take the left leg that's already blocked. I've already got an underhook here. I've already got my leg up. Your outside of your leg here is blocked, young man. You're about to get turned the other way. And he turns and he turns. And watch what he does here. You can see this is Brown's leg. It's already folded over. Now, Brown's got this stabilizing live toes. He's got this underhook here thinking this is going to save him. It is not going to save him. Watch. Here's Maya's outside leg. Look at how bent over the leg is here of Matt Brown. He's getting his leg behind him. This is going to go even further. Watch this. All the way back. Now, this is the key detail. Left hand was around the thigh here. This leg... Maya's right leg was blocking, again, the right arm was too, but not merely the right arm. Also, Maya's right leg was helping to block Matt Brown's left leg. Maya takes his right hand off, grabs the ankle. That now frees Maya to use his leg and sit up and push into him. Remember, you're replacing everything in jiu-jitsu. I'm going to use my leg to block and hold. Then I'm going to, right here, then I'm going to use, I'm going to hold that. Then I'm going to grab my hand with it. So now I can go back and use my leg. And they switch off together. It's never, I'm just going to do this and then let it go and then try and re-grab it. Nope, I'm going to hold it, switch a different limb to grab it. And then I'm going to use that limb that was holding it to now do something else. He's going to push in off of his knees while he's got control of that. He's going to sit up and go back real quickly. You can see the other leg is around the thigh. This is just a head inside single at this point. This is just a super deep head inside single, which means you're going to pull ankle out, thigh in. You're going to lean your right ear into him as you pull this out, 
And he's not really going to go this way. He's going to go out and around this way. Over. Still holding that left hand here, right leg here. Ear inside. And around. And around. Is that not brilliant? <laughs> Is that not totally, totally brilliant? I saw this in real time, and I. I mean, look how fast this is happening. By the way, and let's just quickly go here, just one more time. Okay, it's four ten. He trips, sacrifice throws to his back, pulls him out, throws him forward, comes up, brings his. You know, make sure that he lets. He never lets Matt Brown's ankle get out of his the outside of his own right leg. It's always trapped inside there. Okay, he needed that clearly. If he lost that, he would just be in mount. It'd be a different thing altogether. You need that for the deep half to work. At a minimum. Again, usually you want that leg extended, but he needs it for the deep half to work at a minimum. All right? Matt Brown says, I'm going to make you pay, which he does. He gets his pound of flesh, but that's all the space he needs to go over. Rotates his body clockwise to come out counterclockwise. You think he's going to come up and block this knee to go for a double. He does not. He goes back the other way again. So remember, he goes clockwise to counterclockwise to clockwise again. He is always switching directions. This is so brilliant. Traps the leg, switches off to the hand, comes up to push, rotates forward, then in a circle, and then gets him to sit to that hip. And look at the look on Matt Brown's face. He's just like, what is going on in my life? Amazing. Amazing job by Demi and Maya here. All right, let's take a look at something that Jacare does that's also super cool. All right, so here we have Jacare. This is after they've stopped the fight. Not stopped him, excuse me, like halted it temporarily to look at the cut. They look at the cut. They're like, oh, this doesn't look so good. But they put him back down. Jacare's on top. All right, Vitor's got his hips off the ground. This is correct. He's got a foot in the hip. We talked about that with the Dodson, excuse me, the uh, Johnson versus Cejudo fight. This is good, right? You, you can you can keep them away. You can protect yourself. You get your knee inside. He's trying to get that foot on the inside of the other hip. You can see Jacare is blocking it. That's not really what I care about, but just sort of showing you what's going on here. All right, so they come down. He's inside. Uh, you can see his right foot. Pay attention to the right foot because this is going to be everything. Right foot is back. Left leg is out. Kind of at an angle, which gives him the um, elbow. Vitor is nowhere around for the arm bar. This is where you would want for an arm bar, but you know, there's no there's no arm bar set up here. It's just the angle that you would want for something like that. But if you're Jacques Array, it's also the angle you want to hammer him with an elbow. Don't care about that. This right leg is what I care about. This is a small little detail. It's not a big thing, but this is just one of the cool things that Jacare does. I don't see a lot of people do that I feel like is just tremendo. So here we go. Watch this. This is what he does. Here he is lifting up. He got open guard from Vitor, who's bleeding like a stuck pig. This is you know not great, but it's open. And a lot of times in jujitsu, if someone wants to put you know wrap a full guard or try to put a guard up, you're gonna put your you're gonna put what's called a combat stance. A combat stance is you've got one knee up, one knee down, essentially. And that knee up is going to prevent them. You know, if, you have, if I have a knee up, you're not going to be able to get full guard on me, right? You might be able to get De La Hiva because you can put the De La Hiva hook in. But just think about it logically. If I've got one knee down, I've got one knee up, I've lowered my butt to the ground, and now I'm facing you elbows tight on the inside, I can do a lot. I, I've got my live toes underneath me. I'm not, you know, on my knees. I can't shuffle. I can explode a direction. There's a lot I can do with that. He's going to bring this knee up on the inside, but he's not going to do it combat stance style. He's going to do this. This is amazing. Now, you can't quite see here. This is Jacare's thigh. Here's the back of his foot. He's going to do... I've never seen this. This is so awesome. He's going to do what looks like an inside neon belly. Neon belly is typically done, or at least I've only ever seen it done, um, from side control. It's a way to control someone on top and side control. It's, it's one of the better elements of jiu-jitsu because if someone doesn't know what they're doing underneath and you get knee on belly and you're heavy, it's good for street fighting. It's good for a lot of things, right? But you could do it across their hip to hip or you can do it hip to shoulder. Uh, the two ways I've been taught anyway. Maybe there's other ways too. But hip to shoulder I've found to be more effective. You can ride them a little bit easier that way. Um, and it also hurts a lot more. You can really exert pressure. Uh, but he does one that's like straight up the middle. Uh, which I've seen done on certain knee cut passes. People have been like, if you ever have trouble with a knee cut pass, bring your knee up the middle close to their chin and then just kind of grind it out to the side. I've seen that before. But that's not what he does here. He uses a knee on belly in the middle of the guard to balance himself. Watch this. So he gets up on live toes now. Here's the back of his foot. The knee is on the inside here on his gut. 
All right, what does this do? This limits the hip mobility of VTOR. This limits, frankly, the shoulder mobility of VTOR. This limits the side-to-side -side mobility of VTOR. This is bad. You can see a better look at it here. Look at that knee. And what is Jacques Array doing? Banging on him. This knee is awful. Awful. Look at his toes. His heel is off the ground. All the weight is going that way. Going up through him, in his hips, on that knee. Vitor can't get a guard around him because the knee is in the middle, so it's blocking. Vitor can't really get his hips back because he's getting pinned. He's getting punched in the face, so there's all kinds of different uh, things coming in his way. He can't get a daily heave hook because it's too far up. This, this is awful. This is, this is amazing and awful at the same time. It limits mobility. It limits blocking. It limits offense, all while giving Jacques Array the balance he needs. And he can ride it side to side, which you'll see here in just a second. Take a look at this. He comes back down. Where is that knee at? On the inside. Now, Vitor tries to get a foot in the hip here, and you can see a foot in the hip here, but he can't really do anything because he can't. there's just not enough push on it. Meanwhile, he's getting banged on the face um, by Jacques Array. So he's got the foot in the hip, but look at the angle of it. It's kind of like his foot is coming towards his face. Here's a better look at it right here. Look at that. Look at Jacques Array. To kill this leg, he keeps the knee on the inside, Right, it's between the legs, but he drives the right knee to the ground. This kills the pressure of the against his own hip from Vitor. It makes this foot in the hip worthless. Is this not amazing? This is super cool little detail here. Meanwhile, what is like? Look at the body posture here of Vitor. He can do nothing. Shoulders not pinned to the ground, but he can't really move them. Hips are completely pinned to the ground. Meanwhile, he's getting tagged here. Awesome, awesome ride from Jacare. Jacare, look at this, still adjusting. Vitor gets a foot back in the hip. He wants one on the other side. But this whole left side, excuse me, this whole right side here, Vitor is being crushed. His knee is flat to the mat here. There is nothing he can do. He is not going to press on just one side of the hip, Jacare off of him. Meanwhile, Jacare can just press into him, put the weight down on him, all while his hands are basically free. Now, his hands on the mat here a little bit, but he could sit back if he wanted to a little bit. But he's putting his weight straight down on him. That is amazing to me. Now, he steps out a little bit. Watch what he does here. So, Vitor is like, okay, the beating has stopped temporarily. See the hand here? He's going to stuff the shin between his legs and then sit on it when the right knee goes back down. Watch this. He takes a step back. Always keeps a foot here, which you always want to do. He has a foot excuse me, he has his right hand on Vitor's left foot to prevent any kind of De La Hiva, okay? Puts the hooks between his legs as he steps around. Now he's going to sit on the shin. This is common for all kinds of passes. X-pass, uh, you know, backstep pass, all, all kinds of passes do this. This is common, but, you know, to have the wherewithal to do it in the middle of an MMA fight against Vitor Belfort in front of 45,000 people, that's kind of cool, right? So then he... You see Vitor tries to get the hook back in, but it's behind Jacare because he's pinching his knees together a little bit, sitting his weight down a little bit, controlling that ankle so he can't get the De La Hiva. And again, look how close he is in here. There's not enough room to really, even if he could circle in, circle it in, it's not going to be all that effective. And so then you see here he drops his weight past the hook and goes right back to on live toes, knee on the stomach, on the inside of the guard. And he pinches his knees here, and he's just banging on Vitor. Vitor tries to sit up here a little bit. You can see he's on his elbow trying to, like, imagine yourself getting out of bed or something, right? And it doesn't work because then Jacare sits past the knees. Vitor kind of extends here trying to do something. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what he was trying to do. Maybe he's just flailing. But look at that thing right in between. He's splitting the guard wide open, riding it. This is Imagine if this was your posture on the couch. You could go, go to your, lo your local couch. Go to your couch downstairs, wherever you are, and put your knee on it, and then imagine punching someone from it. You can see how stabilizing that would feel. Still riding it. Vitor trying to get a knee inside. And you could bump Jacques right here, but you're against the fence. He's not going to go anywhere. All right? Now, Vitor does get a knee inside here. This is better for him. But you can still, he can't do much except defend and kind of block this hip here. It's, it's not great. Look where Jacques Ray is. Still in between. And now you see him just sitting on top of the outside of the leg while the other leg is splitting them. Live toes, heel off the ground. This is just, this is a beatdown of epic proportions. This keeps going, by the way. So then finally he kind of stands back up. He's still got his leg where he wants it to be. He never lets it get aside. His foot is always either right underneath Vitor Belfort's rear end or just very, very close to it. 
He's, and you see Vitor like pushes off a little bit here, but when he pushes off, he creates space between his knee and his chest. So Jacare occupies it, comes in, and now takes it. Now, not only does Jacare have the inside knee here, that like knee on belly between the guard, his hips are past both knees. So what do you think is going to happen next? There is no line of defense that Vitor has. There's no foot in the hip. There's no knee in the hip. There's no nothing. That's when he takes mount. He's going to sit this leg to the ground. This foot is on the inside, but it's going to go to the other side. He is past both knees here. He's just going to sit his weight right down. Oh, Vitor's going to bridge here, you see. But again, I mean, he's wide open. You see him bridge, hips off the mat. Jacare's putting weight down on him. So he can't get too much of an arch. There's not a whole lot of arch here. He'd have to get his hips up and like be looking away for this to really work. And then Jacare just occupies the space. Remember, look, look here on the right side. See that foot that was like riding on the inside? Knees on the outside. As Vitor rolls, Jacare is going to let him roll. Jacare wants him to roll here. Because he's already got this knee on the inside of his chest. A la Conor McGregor, Nate Diaz. And then takes them out and sits his weight. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> don't know a lot of guys who can do that to a black belt. Um, Jacare Souza is a madman. All right, last but not least, here we have Fabricio Verdum and Stipe Miocic. All right, so here's the only thing we're going to focus in on. There's a lot more that happens in this fight. This is not meant in any way to be comprehensive. The only thing I want to focus in on are the blitzes. He does them four or five times in this fight. So it was clearly part of the strategy, this blitzing. Um... And it has some effectiveness, but not a lot. What you're going to find is two things. One, the angling uh, of Miocic is important here. He backs up straight one time. What you mostly find is that he circles out really well. He circles out really well. So he avoids a lot of the punishment. He never, never really takes a lot of punches. Uh, he parries a lot of shots. He keeps his hands up when he needs to and doesn't when he doesn't need to. He keeps his eyes down target downrange, so to speak, the whole time. The other thing you're going to notice here is that what, what I think for Verdum wanted was to back him up to the fence where he could maybe initiate a clinch. I also think what he wanted to do was he wanted to get Miocic to put his hands up in front of his face like a guard. Like get him to really cover up so that he could rip to the body. I doubt he would want to shoot, but maybe pull up a clinch, start firing knees, just not give Miocic a chance to offensively respond and not give Miocic a lot of space. But what you'll find is that Miocic... But both by keeping his eyes open, keeping his you know clever defense, and you know with you know smart parrying, he does a lot of down parrying, a lot of side parrying, and also his angling. You know, I'm not saying that Verdum didn't have any success with it, but it was pretty limited. You'll see what I mean here. So here's the first blitz. Came about 4:16 of the first round, and then a couple seconds later, what happens is Verdum lowers his level, fires a left. Look at Miocic looking down, hands up but not like rigidly covering his face like a turtle shell. Backs up, puts a hand on the shoulder to keep him from landing anything. Watch, watch his angling out while we do this. Now he eats kind of a left here from Verdum, but look at him angle out. Verdum fires a left and he doesn't get anywhere close, and he's away. Look at where Verdum is headed. Look at where Miocic is headed. That look familiar to you? That's exactly how it all ended. Essentially, because what happens, as you'll see, is that after he misses here, um, Verdum tries to fire from this angle. And I think when he changes that angle, that's when he gets caught. So that's the first blitz. That's what happens here. Nothing bad happens really to either guy. Milch just takes kind of a punch, but, but no big deal. Okay? Here's the second blitz. Now we're at 341. They're standing all facing each other. Here comes Verdum. Starts with the left again. So he wants to use this left to, to split the guard. Where's Miocic? Hands out in front. Now this one kind of works well for Verdum. This time, because Miocic backs up straight, the right hand connects. Nice shot from Verdum. One of the better right hands he lands. One of the better shots he lands in this very, very brief fight. Okay, great. Tries to fire a left up the middle. Miocic. Uh, this photo, you may not appreciate it, but Verdum is kind of going this way. Miocic is kind of going this way. You can see how he's on the, on the balls of his feet angling out. The picture doesn't represent it all that well, but just go back and watch. You can see it 337 for yourself. That's exactly what's happening. There's your second blitz, okay? Here's your third blitz. Just a few seconds later, catches him coming this way, wants to cut off the cage, right? Because he was backing up this way and angling. Verdun wants to lateral left and cut him off. 
Here we go again. Comes in, tries to slap the hands down. Eyes open, hands out in front to protect himself. Feet in motion. And this needs to, here we go. So what does he do? Tries to slap the right, the left hand down to create a lane for, I believe, his left. Fires the left, as soon as this picture loads. And it kind of connects, but you can see it's an open hand here. Right? Not that great. I mean, it's it grazes, but he's kind of just out of range a little bit here. I think the range was giving him problems. Miocic was, which is, was in tight, and when they were at range, he couldn't quite get anything going with the leg kicks. So then he tries to launch the right. There's nothing there. Thinks about throwing the left, kind of catches his arm. Where is Miocic going? Out and to the left. This is now the third blitz. It doesn't go anywhere. Right? doesn't get a whole lot on it. Look at the time on the clock, 3.33. Now we go to 3.15, 15 seconds later. This is the second-to-last blitz, I do believe. We'll see after this, right? Facing off. Kind of kicking range here, right? Yep, exactly. You get an outside leg kick from Verdum on the right side. Then he comes in, blitzes with a left. Miocic, hand up, protecting himself, arm out, like he had on that shoulder, kind of misses, puts it in his face to block him. Verdum kind of puts the hand out, tries to get a left. It sneaks around the glove, but not, not all that well, right? So Miocic does a good job protecting himself. And you see him try to fire it. Look what Miocic does. Has his hand up right away. Go back and look here. He's got his hand on, on one side, answering the phone. Hand on the other hand, stiff arming. That stiff arm comes into effect because as he tries to wrap around, there's Miocic blocking it. And what's Miocic doing the whole time? He's in motion. This is where things get a little different. And you see him angling out. Look here. Look at that. Here's the Harley ad. He's on the outside of it. And he's moving to the inside of it. You can see that. Again, the picture doesn't, doesn't do a lot of justice. So that was the fourth blitz. I think this is the second to last one. Okay, here we go. Here's the second to last one. Facing off. Launches in with the left. This one, I think it does graze him, but not all that great. Miocic kind of parries it a little bit. Left hand out, feet in motion. This one, again, kind of connects, but again, left hand out, feet in motion. He fires the right again up the middle, like a second, like a backup shot, right? Lands here at 222. Uh, it's the same one pushing it forward again, right? This one kind of connects. But this time, Miocic tags him. You notice in all the other blitzes, the first four blitzes, Miocic just covered up and backed up. By the fifth blitz, he reacts and cracks Verdum with a nice right hand. Verdum did not anticipate this, was not defending this. This is just Miocic doing something good. Now watch. He's going to crack him on the right and then rotate to his right, a la um, Holly Holm versus Ronda Rousey. Boom. Lands the right and angles out. Now here's what I think Verdum sees. Verdum's like, all right. And Verdum gets wobbled a little bit by this. I mean, just for a split second, but it, it lands. Here's what I think Verdum sees. Verdum sees that Miocic landed on him, but he's still standing. He's all right. And now look at the angle he has. Because he kind of backed up straight for a little bit and then angled, but he angled a little late, so now he's stuck against the fence. So now what Verdum can do is just lateral, and then he cuts off him in the cage. So this is a good position for Verdum. The problem is Verdum just does this. He reaches, he walks, look at him cutting off the cage, here's, here's Miocic walking outside. He launches in with a left, comes in with a right, again, hand up for Miocic, stiff arm with the left. Look at that, blocking it, hand out as he rotates. So he doesn't get the angle here. He kind of rushes to cut off the cage and doesn't really get it because Miocic is in motion as he blitzes again. And this is the interesting part here. Tries to throw a left, is blocked again. Let's go back here. Yeah, throws that left. Tries to double up on it, can't get it. And then tries to throw a right. Now, here's the four. I didn't catch this the first time in watching the fight. I did on tape. There, this is Dan Hardy... Carlos Condit, it's a duel, right? But look at the body positioning. Look who's, the, yes, he's backing up, but now he stops for a second to drive forward. He's driving into him. He's kind of off balance at the same time to the side. I think his posture is a little more erect. They land at the same time. Isn't that funny? They land at exactly the same time. Verdum catches him here a little bit, but his hand's kind of open. It's almost like a palm strike versus right on the ear, closed fist, Old Miocic catches him and sends him into the land of wind and ghosts. So, so what is the lesson here from this? One is that I think there was a problem with range for Verdum. Um, his entries 
got a little repetitive. He would lead with the left and kind of try to hand fight, but Miocic wasn't having it. Miocic was always on his horse. He always had good footwork. You know, everyone's like, oh, Miocic has a big punch. I'm sure he does. I mean, obviously, you know, look at the evidence here. It's not hard to find. Yeah, he's got a big punch. But to me, what won Miocic this fight was Verdum's, you know, Verdum, I'm not going to say gave it to him, but certainly that recklessness created opportunities for him. But it's not, it's more than that. For me, the footwork, the angling and the footwork of Miocic always put him at a distance he needed to be to stay out of damage, to eventually adjust and launch his own damage after the fifth blitz with that right hand, um, and just good, basic boxing defense. Hand up on one side, hand out on the other side to create a stiff arm, a blocking mechanism, everything you need. Really, if you look at what Miocic does here, does he do anything super special? Like, is this some kind of Jacare, you know, knee on belly ride between someone's guard? No. But it doesn't need to be. Super solid, hardcore fundamentals applied correctly, consistently to an over-aggressive opponent who had trouble with range and trouble with cage cutting. I think the cage cutting here by, at this point, so look, he misses this blitz, right? He, he, he blitzes him back here. He should have. Like, this is good for Verdum. He he ate the right. Okay. But as Miocic angles around counterclockwise, rather than blitzing him again, he should have set it up and then maybe blitz. Instead of blitzing at a... Look, he blitzes at a forward angle here on this stops on this Harley-Davidson sign, but Miocic is already in motion. You are, you're already late. Right here. 218 of the round. You're already late. He's already moving. Look at that. Already out of the way. Throws, hand up to protect himself, this hand to block the other hand, pushes out, creates a lane, bang. That's it. Pretty simple, right? Simple, basics work. Uh, when I say basics, I don't mean anyone can do it. The basics are the hardest things to learn. A good jab is the hardest thing to learn. Good footwork is the hardest thing to learn. It's just so fundamental to everything else. Good footwork, good movement, good angles, good timing, good reaction, good eyesight, good defense. That's what won Stipe Miocic this fight. All right, and last but not least, segment three, taking a look at what's coming up next. Believe it or not, there is actually a Bellator event uh, this weekend. No, this Friday. Sorry. This will be Bellator 156. This will take place at the CenturyLink Arena in Boise, Idaho. Bellator 155, this is going to be headlined by a middleweight title fight between Rafael Carvalho and Melvin Manhoff. That's, uh, I'm not sure about Manhoff should be fighting, but all right. Then you have in the co-main event, Pat Curran returns against Georgie Karakanian. That's a great fight, actually. Uh, Dan Charles returns against Augusto Sakai in a little heavyweight fight there. Marcin Held is back against Dave Jansen. Leg lock versus grappler, that should be fun as well. And then Joey Beltran takes on Chase Gormley. That's your Spike main card. Uh, in the prelim card, uh, Marluz Kunin is going to face off. She's not fighting for the title anymore because her original opponent, Julia Budd, pulled out. But she will be on the preliminary card there. And that's about it. There is no UFC event next weekend. There's one after that. We'll talk about that next weekend. After, well, Hopefully I can pull out a uh, Monday morning analyst from this Bellator card. I guess we'll see. But uh, thank you so much for watching. Please give it a thumbs up. Really appreciate it. If I got anything wrong or you got any kind of correction, by all means, let me know. Happy to hear it. You can email me at luke.thomas.sbnation.com. Appreciate everyone watching. Congrats to all the winners. To Jacques Array, to uh, Stipe Miocic, and to... Uh, Dim and Maya. I mean, these guys are amazing. They're unbelievable. We are lucky to be able to watch something like that. And I'm lucky that you guys watch this. Thank you so much. And until next time, enjoy the fights.